Thanks for tuning in to McNamara on Money, a podcast about all things financial. On this show, we talk about investments and investment performance. In our practice, we give financial advice to our clients. We know their financial situation in detail before doing so. That's not the case with callers we may speak to on this show. We can't give truly meaningful financial advice because we don't know the detailed financial situation of the caller. Any suggestions we make to callers are generic in nature and meant to steer a caller in the right direction. Listeners to this podcast need to check with their own financial professionals before implementing any suggestions that we may make. Good morning. My name is Mike McNamara. This is McNamara on Money. And today we're going to have an interesting show, hopefully, that'll keep you entertained and hopefully informed over the next couple hours. My guest this morning is an attorney by the name of Brian Fecto, and he's with Delaney and Muncie in Plymouth, Massachusetts, correct? That's correct, Mike. Thanks for having me in today. Hey, thanks for keeping me company on a Saturday morning. Better to be indoors today right now than doing something else. Yes, it's definitely a good day to be on the radio and listening to the radio. Yep, so folks, the general discussion here is going to be estate planning, but that's a pretty fuzzy term, so we're going to kind of hop into a whole bunch of different areas. It's basically called hang on to what you have and make sure your your heirs and kids get the good stuff and you don't lose too much along the way. That's my general description of estate planning. Brian, how about a little background for yourself and the firm, just so that people know that they're listening to somebody who actually does this for a living stuff. Sure, Mike. I've been an attorney for about 20 years. I've been doing estate planning for 16 years now, and I live here in Marshfield, and my practice is in Plymouth, Delaney and Muncie, and we are a seven-attorney firm, so for the South Shore, a pretty good-sized law firm, Um, and pretty diversified in our practice, but my focus is estate planning, settling estates, some real estate matters, transactional-type law. All right. So... Estate planning sounds so grandiose, but folks, everybody listening to me has an estate, basically. That's true. I have a lot of people that come in and say... (laughs) That sounds fancy. I don't need that. I just yeah. need a will. Yeah. And I said, an estate plan can just be a will. Yeah. It doesn't mean you have the uh, Rockefeller estate. So, folks, we're going to kind of hop around to a bunch of topics that Brian wants to cover. And there'll be no official sequence here. But where would you like to start? And let's go from there. Sure. I thought maybe we would start with some things that uh, that people can do out there before they even see an attorney to make their estate and their estate settlement someday, hopefully long time in the future, a little bit more efficient. And this is just based on things that I've seen where things get delayed, where children get frustrated after mom and dad have passed and some stuff that you can do every so often that's going to make everyone's life easier when you're no longer here. Yeah. And by the way, before he goes any further, folks, perhaps there are some folks out there listening who've been stuck into settling an estate for a parent or a relative. And if they weren't prepared, they, they know all about why you should be getting ready for this stuff, right? That's right. I sometimes have, while mom and dad are still alive, the kids might be upset that they're not the named executor. But as soon as they have that actual role, they wish dad would have picked their brother. Yeah. We'll get to this in a while, obviously, but if you're charged with settling a relative's estate, it can get mighty complicated and take mighty long and consume a mighty large chunk of your time if you're not careful about that. So if, uh, if you yourself are all squared away with an estate plan, good, but if your parents aren't, you might want to give them a nudge because you might be facing some interesting time ahead with that situation. Yes, that's definitely true. So what I thought I would start with, again, is the three things that... Um 
you can do at home before you even come see somebody like me to get your to get things in order. And the first, Mike, is we have a lot of problems sometimes with the family coming in and saying, we don't really know what dad owned. We don't know what accounts he had. We don't know what banks he banked at. Is there some central place that you can go to, Brian, and tell us what dad had? <laughs> and there isn't. And so what I would recommend that everybody do, if you're not doing already, and whether you do this annually, quarterly, every couple of years, make a list of what you have. Make a list of your accounts. Put a balance for that account as of that date. And this is why it should get updated every so often. Yeah. So that something happens to you unexpectedly. Your children aren't waiting for the mail to see what statements come in to find where you had accounts. Did you have an IRA? Did dad have life insurance? Did he still own that piece of property in Florida? All that kind of stuff causes a lot of stress and a lot of times, especially now, mail doesn't come as frequently. Yeah. We don't get statements. If you get an annual statement for your insurance contract, you might know until 11 months afterwards that, oh, there's something I found out. Sort right. Of thing. Yeah. And okay. like I said, there's no place I can call and say, please give me all of Mike McNamara's asset information. Yeah. just yeah. isn't out there. Hopefully not yet or not ever, basically, but we'll see where that goes. So keep this in a... You don't have to share this with your children for privacy purposes, but keep it in a place where it would be found when something happens so to you. you can put that in the analog form in a paper in a notebook and go hide it someplace on the safe or whatever, or can you can do that in a digital form. Yeah. You could okay. just make sure that your computer's not hidden behind some password that nobody knows. Yeah. So that password yeah. has to be put analog somewhere. Yep, yeah. yep. Yeah. And if, you, if all your accounts are online, that's fine. Maybe you print them out and once every once in a while or you give somebody access or have a, in case of emergency break glass box somewhere that gets somebody <laughs> into the computer where all that's stuff is. Yeah. Okay. All right. Got that. So that's one good idea. The second, and this is especially as you get older, you may want to think about consolidating your accounts and your holdings a bit. Okay. In an estate settlement process, every account has to be dealt with. And if you've got your money at 10 different banks, that's 10 different places your personal representative or executor now has to deal with. If you have stock certificates all over the place with 10 different transfer agents, that's again, 10 more calls that have to be made. So I'm, I don't want you to change your investment strategy, or I understand some people like to spread money around for different interest rates or safety, that sort of thing. But Think about, do you really need that $500 bank account here, there, and everywhere? The $3,000 of insurance company stock that you're holding, could you sell that maybe and consolidate it into your account? I don't know if this is something you deal with, Mike, but it- All I, I, the time, Brian, yeah. all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and so I don't, it's Mike's job to tell you where your money should be and how it should be invested or give you some advice on that. My advice is just simplify if you can, because it's somebody's mess to clean up later. And if there is too much out there in too many places, it's good to have too much out there. But if they're in, if it's in too many different places, it's just going to make life more difficult. For By the your, way, the, the word executor doesn't apply anymore. What's the Massachusetts yes, term for that? Personal representative. Personal representative. Now. So folks, if you're going to be somebody's personal representative upon their demise, 
you may have no clue how much work and time is involved in doing that. I have folks, you probably know many, that are a year or two or three and still settling estates later because stuff fell out of the trees. They didn't know about it. So there, there's a lot of work involved in this. And by the way, a whole lot of time that could take you away from your business or your family or your work. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And um because oftentimes while you can give most of this to a, a, an attorney or a law firm to handle, oftentimes your presence is still needed on phone calls to verify, to actually execute transactions and that sort of thing. So sure. it's a time consuming process. And if you're setting this up for your family to deal with, the less work they have and the more efficiently you can move your assets to the next <coughs> generation or to the spouse or to wherever they're going, the better. Okay. And so that leads into number three. And that is uh, make sure you have checked the titling on all your accounts and the beneficiary designations on IRAs, 401ks, life insurance policies. A lot of times by inertia, we may have filled out a form with HR 25 years ago and never changed it. And something that we may see is one or two children named and kid three and four who were born after never Uh got added in. Uh So you hope kid one and two are nice to three and four, but you can't count on it. Kids never fight about money, right? Never. never. I never see that in my Absolutely. office. Absolutely. Yeah. That's one. Also, know the impact of joint titling of accounts. So I will have situations where one of three children has been put on an account, perhaps for convenience, for check writing, for that sort of thing. But it may not be the intent that child is to be the sole owner of that account upon your death. And absent some kind of expression of that wish, the legal, the fallback is that one child will own that account. You've got that same problem. Yeah, the stuff you didn't know, right? Yeah. That's right. And so that's something that you can do. And also, you go to your bank and perhaps you've put your child on an account for signature purpose. Make sure you check with the bank if you're goal is that upon your death, your child will own that account. Make sure the bank titling is set up that way and that the child has not just been given signature authority. There, so. there you go. By the way, let me let me back up. I got a couple of questions sure. on each of those and maybe you can tell us a story. When, I, when we have in our practice a single person, a widow or a widower or a, however that's older, we always think it's a pretty great idea that they have one of their children, okay, sit in with them on a meeting once in a while or be aware of what's going on financially. When, when we uh, talk with folks about thinking about doing that, there's no middle of the road. Either on the end of that spectrum, my kids aren't going to know anything. I don't want to share anything with my kids. And then the other end is, yeah, that's a really good idea. Let me get them in, come in the meeting. And folks, I, j- just from the financial end of this, and the legal is probably even more important. But if you're older and you're certainly by yourself, if you're a widow, widower, or single person that's older, there's going to be somebody in your life okay, that you depend on if you're alive and need some help or when you're gone that you want to settle your affairs. You ought to loop them in about what's going on and what could be the case because that's just not only a thoughtful thing to do, but pretty necessary if you want to do a clean thing. I've had situations, I'm sure you can, where people have been absolutely blown away by what parents had and what they didn't know about and this, that, and the other thing. And I've had other situations where the emotional transition is difficult, but the financial stuff and the paperwork goes pretty smoothly. And yeah, they're thinking about other things at that time, given the circumstances. Especially if it's a situation where sometimes we have situations where the parents have good 
good reason for not wanting ah, everyone to okay. know uh-huh. what their documents say, and that's yep. completely understandable. Or, or and maybe some of their children. And certainly if a, if a child calls me and says, tell me what's in dad's will, I'm not telling uh-huh. them, but it's from a more look at it as where things are and what would you have to do? That kind of stuff should be shared. Yeah. Maybe not the real guts of the <laughs> yeah, document. Yeah, or I've got, or exactly. That's so right. whatever degree folks do that, doing it to some degree is be- better than right. no degree. And if everything's going equally to the two kids, what's the point really of hiding yeah. that from them? Yeah, and um, by the way, man, maybe they hide because n- not everything's going equally to the two kids. Is right. that probably a good reason for them? That'd not? be a good reason when you might just say, look guys, everything is in a green binder in the lockbox in yeah. the basement. Yeah. If I don't come down for breakfast, that's where to look. Fight about it later? But <laughs> make sure that green book's up to date. <clears throat> yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's amazing how much information is out there that you have to go gather. And that's right. interesting. Okay. So yeah, uh, so that my advice is if you're a single person and older, okay, on the back nine versus the front nine to use a golfer's or mm-hmm. I hope there's somebody in your life that you trust that's going to help you out when you're not here anymore. And I hope that person has like a clue about what's right. going on and what your wishes are because you don't want to, you don't want to end up mm-hmm. with that. How about on the not tell your kids? Okay. How do you deal with a special kid that's separate than the other two or three that you're uncomfortable with. What, do you have a yeah, <laughs> comment that, on that? Or? that? That is a tough situation to no. deal with. I think in most cases, you would just take the position that I'm still here. Yeah. I have a plan. I've done good planning. Okay. Be assured that things will work out. Yep. But I don't know if you, it, it always is the best thing to surprise somebody with, oh yeah. my gosh, I thought I was going to be getting an equal share yeah. and yeah. I'm not. Yeah. A lot of parents though, understandably towards the end of life, do they want to have that conflict yeah. Yeah. and make it known? So it's really a fine line and it could go either way. And a lot of it's just based on emotions and relationships yeah. and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, folks from a financial advisor perspective, and I've been doing this for 40 years plus now, I'm going to say this and it doesn't apply across the board, but kids fight about money in a, in a pretty significant proportion of estate settlements if they view that somebody has been treated unequally for whatever reason. And there are dozens of possible examples of how that works. But I, I, I assume, don't assume that your kids are all going to be hunky-dory. You, you could precipitate a family war mm-hmm. to your demise and where kids and nieces and nephews and cousins never talk to each other again because of how that all worked. It's probably not what they had in mind. But, right, it's yeah. not. And so sometimes Sometimes if, if you feel that grab getting ahead of that and having a family meeting while you're still here you and saying, this is how it's going to be and this is my decision, yeah. then perhaps I, they still may be mad, but yeah. maybe they blame you and not their brother. Yeah. And again, a sidebar to that is if there is somebody that's going to be short change and they don't tell anybody, then they do some things on the will to make sure that they're going to be okay with That gets even nastier. Exactly. Yeah. The best deal is to have a family meeting and at least have kids aware of what's going on. On the simplification, yeah, th- thank you for that. We see that. It's unbelievable how many people have walked in that if I got like a stock certificate over here and three over there and the amount of work that's involved in just collecting that stuff up and parking it in one broke. You know, folks, I got a newsflash for you. If you have three or four different stocks that you own that are not in a brokerage account, a brokerage account is just a box where you can stick your stocks, folks. That's probably the best description. But if you have them held, okay, in different places, let's see, how many different different tax documents do you get if you have stocks held in four different places or how many different note checks or this or that or the other thing. If you can, when it comes to your money and your finances, the less 
places you have where your money is parked, it's just so much better off. And you're right, bank accounts are are an unbelievable. Right, it's going to be easier for you, I think, while you're here, and then yeah. certainly easier later for the person who's settling this. When yeah. they if they can just go to Mike and say, "Oh, I'm so glad Dad put yeah. all those stock certificates in that brokerage account ten years ago." Yeah, most of the time doesn't work that <laughs> no, way. No, I know. We, we, <laughs> it's when you ask somebody to go out to do the work on that, and we even offer to help them to go snag these things. Right, it falls down to the low. Yeah, part the transfer agent we see out there a lot is computer share, and our paralegals spend a lot yeah, of hours they, on the phone they, with them. They, there you go, ka-ching, yeah. ka-ching, right? right? As far as paying for that, folks, if you can do that in advance, okay, we don't charge for that, and neither did probably anybody else in the financial business. Just get right. it done, get right. it clear. It makes your life simpler. The titling. Tell me a story why people should be careful about joint accounts. Yeah, certainly. So this one comes up quite often. I'm going to name my, I've named my oldest son as the joint owner on all my accounts because he's the oldest and he'll do the right thing and he'll share all that money with his siblings. So legally, when mom passes, that joint account is legally owned by the son whose name was on it, okay? Despite the moral duty he may have to his late mother to do what she thought he was going to do, he has no legal duty to share that account with his siblings. It's not in mom's probate estate because he was a joint owner. It's his account. And look, 85% of the time that guy does do the right thing. Okay. So most people do the right thing, but 15% of the time I get a call. All of mom's assets were joint with my brother. Mom's will says everything's to be shared equally, but my brother is not, he's not sharing those accounts with me. Can we enforce the will, the terms of the will against my brother? Not really. Sure, sure it's, answer is it's no. It's quite difficult. You right. can perhaps make some argument that he was put on there solely for convenience, yep. for signature, and it was not mom's intent that those that he would get those and try to force them into the probate estate. But that's that's litigation and that's complicated. Yeah. Uh, another question about that, and I want to spend some. We're coming up on a break in about a minute or so. Let's spend some more time on the ownership stuff just a little bit because it can get confusing. But if you own a joint account with your son in the bank and your son gets sued for seven gazillion dollars, what? happens to that money so, so while you're alive, that those assets that you've put his name on, perhaps just for estate planning purposes, are now at risk yeah. for a divorce, a lawsuit, for him just turning on you, and he's got the ability to go clean out that account. Yeah. yeah. So this is where we might, instead of putting someone jointly on an account at all times, we might <clears> consider <throat> using a power of attorney. We might consider using just having a signature authority versus a true joint ownership. And so that could be safer and preventing that those lifetime risks as well. Yeah, yeah there, there's some st- things you can have. In my business, in, in my business, just an example of that, a joint account, Okay, a couple of spouses. Okay, either one of those spouses can call up and request funds from that account. And we're not required or obligated to notify the other spouse about what the spouse did with regard to the account. Right. That can get messy, folks, Mm. if your marriage gets messy. And so the whole how you own things who can control it and what might bad things happen. It sounds pretty casual to just say, I'll just stick my son and my daughter on the account, but you got to give some more thought about that, folks, because right. that's a pretty scary thing that uh, can unhappen. So we're just about on time for break. So yeah, a- 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 after the break, they'll start playing the music here in a minute, but after the break, uh, 
maybe you can discuss a couple of different kinds of ownership and a few other protections against stuff like that. Folks, it's important how you own things. Right. And just stick in the house in somebody else's name to protect it from whatever you think is going to happen. So, sometimes you create more problems than you think you're solving with something like that. And we might have better ways to do it. Yeah, yeah, we just might. They might be even legal folks, too. We'll be right back. This is Mike McNamara. If you're looking for a financial advisor, start by asking him or her three questions. Number one, are you a certified financial planner practitioner? Number two, are you legally held to a fiduciary standard of care for your clients? And number three, do you only give financial advice and not sell investment products? These are all simple yes-no questions. If he or she doesn't answer yes quickly and starts talking, that's a no, and it's time to move on to another advisor. We're back. My name is Mike McNamara. This is McNamara on Money. I'm talking with attorney Brian Fecto from Delaney and Muncie in Plymouth, and we're talking about your estate. And just about everybody listening to me has an estate, whether you like it or not. And uh, just about everybody listening to me may have uh, to pay some taxes on that estate, or some of that estate may get messed up if you're not careful about it. So if you've got stuff, usually real estate and money, you need to protect that stuff while you're alive and you need to make sure that stuff gets to who you want it to get to upon your demise and not simple given the circumstances here. Brian, so let's take a couple of minutes about how people can own stuff because that's where you get into trouble. And I'll start off with an incendiary example here to give, see, a widower, okay, I'm sorry, a widow puts her only son's name on her joint bank account worth, oh, pick a number, $100,000, because she wants him to get that money. Two kids. One kid gets the joint account. If that child, that kid, God forbid, runs over somebody and is sued in an automobile accident, and it's above and beyond the insurance coverage, unless I miss my guess... That money that's owned by you and your son, because that's the way it's recognized, that's at risk, okay? You may have put your son's name on to solve one problem, but you may create another one. And it it won't just be half of it that's at risk. It could be all of it at risk. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Another incendiary example. So if that is an account with investments in it, okay, that son calls up and says, I need you to sell $50,000 of that stock and send a check. We're obligated to do that. And we're also obligated not to call the other joint spouse. In in the financial business, okay, either one works. And it's not like, even if we knew a married couple, for example, was like sketchy, okay, if one one of those people called up to clean out the account, we couldn't call the other person by law. There's a privacy issue there. Give yeah. some, holy moly. Th- think about the trouble that you could get into with your money or your house in terms of how you own things. I have set the stage for you to... Sure. <laughs> so there may be some better <laughs> options for you. As people age, they may need help paying bills. They may want somebody to have access to that account and the ability to write checks. But it may not, that may not require you to put that person on as a joint owner. As an owner. Okay. Okay, yeah, all right. So there's a few different things that you can do. One would be have a durable power of attorney in place. Now, in this document, you are appointing someone as your agent. You're not making them a co-owner of uh, the account. Ah, uh, okay. You are giving them agency over the account. So things that might happen in that son's life, divorce, lawsuit, etc., 
Your assets, just because he's your attorney, in fact, under a power of attorney, your assets would not now be subject to his problems. Ain't his money. Yeah, all right. Exactly. So a durable power of attorney is generally a document that's signed with, created by an attorney. There are some out there online, I'm sure, as well. Just make sure if you're using one of those that it's properly set up and does what you think it's going to do or have someone look at it. But a durable power of attorney, again, appoints an agent. There's a couple different types of powers of attorney out there. One would be power of attorney that is effective immediately, okay? And these are the ones we use in our offices quite common, commonly. I name Mike or I name my daughter as the my attorney, in fact, and as of that day, she would have the ability to manage my affairs and my assets. Now, if if I'm still managing them, I might not even provide this document to her. Okay. But in other words, she would not have to prove to anyone that I'm incompetent before she's able to act on ah, this document. Okay. Oh, and why and some people say, why would I want to do that? I would only want this document used if I were incapacitated okay, or yeah. incompetent. Yeah. And so there's is a concept or a document out there called a springing power of attorney where my daughter, before she could use this document, would have to prove that dad, you know, me, that I had some problem. And so the issue with that type of document is who is going to make this determination? Yeah, okay. And what you see most commonly is a letter will be issued by the principal's physician stating that he is no longer competent to act. Okay. And that does work in theory. In practice, it can sometimes be difficult to get a doctor to issue a letter like that has so much power. As you can imagine, they see themselves, okay, if there's a problem with this, it's going to come back to me, Dr. Smith, who wrote the letter that... that They're worried about that too. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So they're worried about liability. And also, you then go to the bank with the power of attorney and the doctor's letter. The bank's legal department may say, how do we know that this doctor's letter is legitimate? Do we need a second opinion? Do we want a court to get involved and tell us we can take this power of attorney. So sometimes a springing power of attorney that only comes into place on incompetence can create, put you right back where you are needing yeah, court involvement. Right. Yeah, wow. By the way, I neglected. Folks, this is a call-in talk radio show. If you're on the South Shore today, our telephone number is 781-837-4900. If you have a legal question relating to estate matters, this is your special day because I'm pretty sure Brian can answer that for you. So <clears throat> give us a call if you have any questions. So let me see if I've got this right so far. If, if you own something jointly with someone, they're could be some problems that you don't anticipate. <clears throat> and a better way to do that for many situations is a power of attorney. Okay, so if you have a power of attorney, you don't own it. If you have a joint ownership, you own it, and there's a right. different story. Okay, <clears throat> and then there's two kinds of powers of attorney. Okay, one that only comes into effect if you're incompetent and can't handle your own affairs, which are probably the most common ones. Okay, and then the second one is called a... That, that's, that's, the, that's, that's, that's the, the second. Sp- that's the second that's springing, the springing power. springs into... Okay, and right. the first one's called an immediate power. Right, it doesn't actually say that. It usually is just labeled durable power of attorney. Dur- durable but it, power of attorney. But it doesn't have any requirement that some condition yeah. occur before it's effective. Right, so, so it goes in, into effect immediately. Got it. So that holder can do anything today... Okay, given the circumstances. Okay, what about I can remember doing a real estate closing or two, where I had an I had an attorney 
that had my power of attorney to act for me a right. different situation. That is, that, that's a transaction-specific power of attorney. So you, okay. likely in that document, it said, with respect to XYZ real estate, my attorney will be able to handle all matters. But he couldn't take that and go into your IRA and make a withdrawal yeah. or something like that. Okay, could you take a minute and explain joint with right of survivorship? versus joint with tenants in common? Sure. Don't get too technical yep. on me now. So a joint tenancy, which is also <clears throat> referred to often as a joint tenants with right of survivorship, means just that on the death of the first owner, the second owner will own the account fully. So the survivor wins on a joint tenancy account. Okay. There's another concept in property law called tenants in common. If I own a piece of real estate with you, Mike, as a tenant in common, if I die, my 50% interest will not pass to you because oh, there's bummer. no survivorship. Okay, yeah. It will, <laughs> my 50% interest will pass in accordance with my estate planning documents, whether it be a will, a trust. So it's in proportion else. to the ownership of the stuff that's in there. That's right. And so a tenancy in common does not have that that survivorship aspect. If dad leaves, dad leaves a house to three children as joint tenants with rights of survivorship, the ultimate winner will be whoever lives the longest on that one. Yeah, okay. If it's if dad leaves that house as tenants in common and one of the siblings passes away, now the owners would probably be the two living children yeah. and that sibling's spouse, children, etc. So that's where you end up with multiple multiple owners. It, it, it gets complicated. Sometimes yeah. you need to put it on paper and yeah. chart out who owns something. Yeah. If, this is a, too simple for, for most people, but so I just own my house. Either I leave it to him in a will or I jointly own it with the three kids. With right. Pluses and minuses there. Yeah. The minus is obviously if you put people on it, we've talked about this now, but if you put people on things as a joint owner during lifetime, it is at risk during your lifetime. Yeah, okay. okay. Remember that, folks. That's important. Okay. okay. So think about that. So on something like a bank account, let's say you, you want somebody to be able to write checks for you if at some point you're unable to. Think about using a power of attorney for that rather than just putting Got it. one son or one daughter on the account. Can you make that a specific power of attorney that just allows from you to do just one thing? Oh, you okay. could say it's solely for this one account. Okay. Yes, you or could. Something like that, okay, yeah. yeah. And then if you're concerned about, well, okay, because powers of attorney do not carry on after death. So in other words, the day you die, your attorney, in fact, under that power of attorney, no longer has access to that account. Okay. okay? So if you're concerned then, well, I want to get this account efficiently to my heirs, to my children, consider going to the bank and putting in place what's known as a POD, payable on death beneficiary designation, similar to what you would do on a life insurance policy or an IRA. Okay. That way upon your death, <clears throat> So they'd have no ownership over this account during your lifetime, but upon your death, they could avoid the process of probate and delays and that sort of thing. If you've put this designation in place with the bank, they walk into the bank with your death certificate, the two of them, the bank would be able to cut a check to each of them without needing probate paperwork and executor, that sort of thing. Okay. So it is, it's accomplished the same thing as the joint ownership, 
without that risk during your lifetime of something going wrong with yeah. the child. Okay, and let me, folks, let me just throw out an example to make a point here. We have a, a single person in retirement. They don't own a home. I'll keep it mm-hmm. simple. They've got an IRA. They've got a life insurance policy, and they have an individual account at the bank. Th- right. Three different places that you have money. And because we're on the radio, I don't even need to go into the mounts, but I've mm-hmm. got a, an insurance policy, an IRA, and a joint account, uh, and an individual account at the bank. If you remember, the insurance policy comes with beneficiaries, and you get Correct. to name them. And the same thing with the IRA. So the good news about those two things is that, okay, you can name beneficiaries, you still own the stuff, and upon your demise, they go automatically and directly to, to those people. There's no court or legal probate or whatever. So anything that comes legally with the beneficiary, usually insurance policies, annuities, and IRAs of any kind, okay, mm-hmm. folks, those go seamlessly, okay, quickly, and well, with some paperwork, but not a ton. Right. But, but the problem is that individual account at the bank, and right. you can go to the bank and say, hey, I want to put some beneficiaries on this. You don't have to, hey, I need a transfer on death policy. Right. You don't know the names, folks. You walk into the bank and say, I would like to add some beneficiaries to my individual account, and therefore it's taken care of upon my demise. Okay. You just want to be, be clear with the bank, because you know not every banker is completely astute on this stuff. That uh-huh. You want beneficiaries, not <laughs> joint owners, because I've seen that I've seen yep. that get messed up. Yeah, yeah. But you're right, Mike. That person may be able to settle their estate without the need for lawyers, yep. without the need for the probate court for complicated trust documents. There are those cases out there where we're happy to say, we can probably settle this in two weeks. Yeah, yeah. why not, given the circumstances? So, Generally, real estate yeah. is what complicates that oh, situation. Oh, which is why I said we didn't right. know how. I tell you excluded that. <laughs> the, uh, in, in our business there, it's called transfer on death account. TR. Right. S- same thing. And if we have folks that don't have a will, and we encourage everybody to have a After two years of asking them for a will, if they still have one, so you might want to put this account and put some beneficiaries in. Oh, good Correct. idea. We're not trying to take money away from attorneys. We're just trying to protect people till they get a will so they can go from there, I think. Yeah, so remember that, folks. The whole beneficiary thing is pretty important. See, I think, yeah, yeah the, yeah, the houses make it difficult. That's where the tricky part is. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah. So yeah. It, the house is usually handled for a married couple by having a title held as husband and wife tenants by the entirety, which yeah. is just a fancy way for husband and wife of saying as joint tenants, yeah. meaning yeah. husband dies or wife dies, that the surviving spouse will be the sole owner without the need for a probate on that instance, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Simply would yeah. be from a technical standpoint, you'd be recording the death certificate at the registry of deeds and now the surviving spouse would be the sole owner. Obviously, the probate issue comes up on the second death. Yeah. Yeah. And so there you're either getting the house to the children or getting it, getting someone in place to sell it, if that's the intent, through a will or perhaps if you're trying to avoid probate and some of the tie-ups there, you're doing that through a revocable trust. And, and we'll uh, get to that sometime, we'll get to that sometime later, yeah. perhaps. But <laughs> So that, that kind of covers some of the... I think what I wanted to touch on first is that some of this stuff can be done even before you come to me. Yeah. And you can do some reading on it. And certainly if you came to us... And you had all, if you had that simple estate, I wouldn't say, yeah. oh, let's take this and complicate yeah. it. You yeah. know, no, you need a trust. You need oh, a six page or eight page will. We try to keep it simple for people because if people don't understand 
the big binder of documents they have. That big binder of documents is really just a, can be a paperweight sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And so to complicate things needlessly is certainly the last thing that I'm looking to do. Yeah, and let me throw out another dumb example about just a house. Let's assume that a single person retired just owns a home. No other money. Keep it simple. Okay, mm-hmm. so let's see. You could just put your three kids as joint owners in the house, hope hope everything is fine, and upon your demise, the three kids own the house. Folks, I have a newsflash for you. There, there's a problem if your three kids inherit the house, okay, because here's how it's going to work. One child is going to be in financial need to sell the house because they need the money. Second child may say... I think I'd like to rent that house. We can get some income from that. And then the third child says, I think I'd like to live there. Okay, how does yeah. one solve that? One doesn't. One's one's dead, but your kids right. are going to fight like hell about yeah, how I think that you, works. You have to certainly on, on house, houses and vacation homes yeah. and family homes, you have to give a lot of thought to whether the children would be able to work together yeah. In that situation, we have a saying in the Assume office not. that multiple ownership of real estate leads to multiple Ooh. problems. Oh, yeah. and we've had plenty of cases over the years of what an a legal action called a petition to partition, where the kids are in court trying to force one child into uh, court trying to force a sale yeah. and that sort of thing. Yeah. If you are going to attempt to do a generational type piece of real estate that you're going to keep in the family, that's one where you definitely need to have the family meeting with all the children, perhaps with an attorney who tries to put in place a document or an agreement that everyone can live with, okay, as to how that thing is going to work. And what you need to think about is and you need to have outs so that if it's not working, the sale happens and or one of the children would have a right to buy out the others if they're not contributing or all those sorts of yeah, things. Yeah, but, and so I started with that example because it's not a good one to start with, but right. you shouldn't do it. But some folks might say, I'll just leave my three kids the house in the will. Same Sa- issue. Same problem. One's going to need the money, one's going to want to run it and make some money, and the other one either wants to move in or is already living there. So, what so I have a lot of clients yeah. do now when they see that problem coming is say specifically in the will, trust, or other documents the house shall be sold and the proceeds shall be divided. Okay. Because they yep. they just want, they don't want a situation where the kids yep. are fighting about that for three years after. They would rather just keep family harmony, yep. have the home sold. It was a great place. We all enjoyed it. But we just don't, we don't see it without dad here to manage the place yep. and decide who's going to have 4th of July week and all that. It's yep. just not going to work. Yeah. And rather than have our fa- our kids all hate each other in 10 years, we'd rather just see the house sold, they all take the proceeds, if, and they move on. Now, in that situation, if one of the children wants to buy it, right, and makes a fair and reasonable offer that the other children are willing to accept, it can stay in the family. Sure. It doesn't okay. have to go to some third party. <clears throat> yeah. But uh, more and more people are, are doing that, I think, because they've seen exactly what you're talking about, yeah. which is the house owned. And, it, and then it gets even more complicated as it goes down another generation. Yeah. Now you might have... 10 owners and yeah so the guidelines are it's probably it's a usually a bad idea to own your house jointly with the people that you wish to inherit it while you're doing that alive yeah okay if you do leave it through a will you have no control over what happens to that upon your demise and assume the worst folks i'm sorry pardon me but i've been doing this long enough and you as well but so 
this is just, I just want to touch on this, but you might be able to use a trust to accomplish something about kids and that. So you want to just take yeah, you I don't want to jump ahead too no, far. No problem. But certainly use a trust to set out the parameters on which you want to see that house managed and used into the future. There's documents out there, Realty Trust and other things, where you'll see it specifically laid out who will use the house when and what weeks or how the lottery system or however that's going to be managed. You will see you documents. Reach out from the grave and control that, right? You will see documents that say, should someone not pay their annual share of the house expenses, they lose something, whether that's okay. they lose usage rights or... Okay. Though you still have a legal document that has to be enforced, so they can still, even though you have this perfect piece of paper, <laughs> yeah, that yeah. piece of paper can't reach out and change what people's actions. But at least you have some rules. At least you have some rules. And it's important that you don't, that the kids don't find out about those rules after you're gone. So that's where I said, that's a document that needs to be put together as a family. So everyone understands, look, this is what dad wanted. Remember when we all sat down back in 2023 and had that meeting and and look, it's right here in writing. And I think you've got a better chance for success if you've done that than if you just say, I leave this to Johnny and Susan and hope they figure it out. Yeah. Folks, what we're trying to do here is not get into a lot of legal jumblies here, but trying to describe some problems or situations that you might come into. And you don't need to worry about the solutions. All you need to do is get an attorney and say, here's my problem, what's going on? Here's so my we, problem, yeah, and we'll yeah. give you some options to fix it. Yeah, yeah. I see. I work with a relatively motivated bunch of folks. If you have a financial advisor, I guess you're concerned. <laughs> Probably two-thirds of those folks have revocable trusts. We may get to that later, folks. And when I asked, and their house is in the revocable trust, and mm-hmm. they smile, and I say, why Why did you do that? And two-thirds of them can't remember why they did that. And then the one-third that do, oh, yeah, I put it in there so I can avoid probate costs in Massachusetts. That's a pretty good reason. But there may be some other reasons why you put it in a trust in terms of how that house gets squared away upon your demise. Yeah, I think later maybe we'll talk a bit about the three or four things I look at when deciding if someone should have a trust uh, versus just a will or perhaps just back to the simple designations of beneficiaries. There are certain circumstances in in the Keeping the house and the family is one of them, yeah. but there are others that are even more obvious yeah. out there that I think we should talk about a bit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, come, let's see. We have probably three or four minutes. Yeah. Oh, we have a caller. Let's go to Tom in Kingston. Good morning, Tom. How are you today? I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? Hey, still breathing. What's going doing on? well, Tom. What's going on? Okay, here's a scenario. <clears throat> I have my own checking account, just my name on it. And I write out a check for this coming Wednesday for my grandson's birthday. And I have a heart attack and die tomorrow. Will my grandson be able to cash that check? If the check was given to him prior to your death, which I assume it was because somebody had to give it to him, then yes. The bank will honor that. Yes, they will. If it's in your checkbook, it doesn't Because it it was written by you while you were alive, so it would be a valid check. So I have today's date on it. I die tomorrow, and the birthday's on Wednesday. Yes. Now, if it's a check for $5 million... There might be some discrepancies <laughs> in the family. And I'm just thinking, the, okay. bank is ob- the bank could be curious about it. But in general, look, if I pay my bills and I die the next day, 
those bills will get paid because I was the one that wrote the check. And when I delivered the check, that was the payment. And so the your death, no more checks could be written on that account, but checks that you writ, had written would be honored. Yeah, Tom, the, my death. The, the reason I, the way I understand that is if the check is written and in your checkbook, it doesn't count. But if the check is written, it's in the grandson's hands. It does count. Okay. All right. Next one. I have a credit in my name only. And I die. And the credit card company says Tom owes, we'll say, $500. Nobody else's name is on that account. My wife gets the bill. Does she have to pay it? Or can the credit card put a lien on my checking account or any other things that are in my name only? So the way it would work is the credit card company would have a claim against your estate, Tom. And so that bank account that's just in your name, you told me, right. that bank account would be part of your probate estate. All right. And so the credit card company could not get that money from your wife or from her money, but they could look solely to your probate assets. So if you only had that one account that was just in your name, that would be the sole place they could look for payment. And if it was a big enough sum, they would, basically. Right. If it was a small sum, they'd probably write it off to them. If, if you had all your accounts joint with your wife and you owed money on a credit card that was sure. just in your name, right. all those assets would pass to her outside of probate. Your probate estate would be empty Okay? And in that case, the credit card company would be out of luck.